0: Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John, and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can find your way to the New Testament book of First Timothy. First Timothy, chapter three: the 16th verse. If you do not have a Bible with you, there are some available in the hall. Blue ones on a table out there, please take one. You may keep it, you may give it away as a gift to someone this Christmas season. You owe us nothing for it. They are simply there for your use. That you may know the scriptures, the Bible says that are able to make you wise unto salvation. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. To those of you that I do not know, my name is John. I'm a pastor here at Village Bible. And it's an honor to worship the Lord with you this morning. It's an honor to sing with you and to open God's word with you. We have been considering through the month of December Christ's first coming, the Advent season, if you will. Christ's first coming. We have considered the need for Christ to come, which I very simply, as simply as I could, just shared with the children here we have considered the need for Christ's first coming we have considered the prophecies of Christ's first coming it is something that was long foretold and took place we considered last week the actual event of Christ's first coming the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and now this morning we consider the person and work of Christ's first coming the person and work of Christ's first coming My purpose in the sermon this morning is twofold, simple two points that I want to make clear I pray to everyone. One, I pray to stir the hearts of those among us who are in this moment far from God. I pray that this morning's sermon would stir you to humble repentance and salvation through faith by grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray secondly my purpose this morning to stir the hearts of those whom Christ has saved in the room. We are gathered in this room and we cannot understand that every person in the room is saved, but we do know through professions of faith and testimony that many of us in the room are saved. And so I pray this morning through this sermon that those whose hearts Christ has saved, those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I pray that the, through our time this morning you would be drawn to a deeper affection for our God, and for our Savior Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter three verse sixteen says, "Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness." He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Would you pray with me? Our God, I lift to you this time in your word, and I ask for your help, knowing, Father, that nothing of my work is going to be effective at all if you are not working through me. And so, Father, I pray, would you speak through me, and yet also, God, from the truth of your word, would you speak to me? Father, I pray that we would be stirred through the preaching of your word this morning, through the reflection and thought of Christ, the Savior, being born to us. I pray that we would be stirred, Father, that as your word is preached, the sinner would be called to humble repentance and salvation. I pray, Father, that through the preaching of your word today, your people would be called to deeper and greater holiness. And I pray above all things that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. When the writer here says, Great indeed we confess, he is saying there is no question, there is no doubt. The mystery of godliness is the most mind-boggling thing that we can consider. Beyond all question and without controversy, godliness is a most mysterious thing. And just about the middle of this short letter, the letter of Timothy, this is written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a young pastor. About the middle of this chapter, this book, dealing with the godliness of God's people... Paul says, godliness is a great mystery. Under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, writing this letter, godliness is a great mystery. Look at what he says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. But in this moment, he is not talking about the mystery of how we become godly. He's not talking about the mystery of our godliness, though that in itself is also a mystery. There are people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, and from one moment to the next may say, I don't don't feel any different. I don't recognize any change in me. I've believed on Jesus, but I feel the same. What has happened? This is because it's a mystery. Godliness is a mystery, but he is not talking about our godliness. Look again. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness he was. The writer here is talking about godliness that comes to us, the fountainhead from which our godliness flows, the way in which we become godly because we are sinful and fallen. Man cannot do enough good to become godly. Man, the Bible says, is sinful from birth. We are all affected by sin. This does not mean, in this mixed and varied gathering of people on Christmas Eve 2023, doesn't mean that every person in here is as sinful and bad as you can be. In fact, I like to believe that you're all as good as you can be. But the Bible says that your goodness does not save you or change your position before God because we are affected by sin. You cannot atone for sin on your own. I'm talking with the children this morning. And they know what it means to be told not to do something and to do it and then to get in trouble for it. And as parents, we know. Something that helps them atone for their sin. What is it? When they come, I just want you to always come to me. If you've done something that you know I will be unhappy with, that will displease me, just come and be honest and tell the truth. I'm sorry for what I've done, Mom. I'm sorry for what I've done, Dad. And we as parents know that helps us deal with them in their wrongdoing. The Bible says that there is nothing that you can do to atone for your sin. We do ask forgiveness, but payment had to be made in order for us to be able to be forgiven. There was no means for us to find forgiveness without shed. Blood. You cannot obtain godliness by doing good. You cannot atone for your sin and achieve godliness. Our godliness must be achieved for us. And this is what Paul says is so mysterious. The means by which God's people become godly. Without God, perhaps you're here this morning, the Bible says, without God you are alone in the world. You're without hope. You have no hope and you're alone in the world without God. That's the Bible's statement of your position without God this morning. Without God, mankind is lost in sin. But when a sinner is saved by God's grace, when a sinner repents and places their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God supplies the person with all that is needed for life and godliness. The mystery of godliness is revealed and becomes known In the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mystery of godliness is revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, he was. Would you look at these statements here, these he was statements. These are incredibly important for our faith, for our godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, the flesh dwelling of the eternal Son of God, the eternal Son of God born into this world as a baby, living life as a man, dying for us on the cross, rising again, ascending into heaven. He was manifested in the flesh that were manifested. It just simply means made known. He was made known in the flesh. It was necessary, if you're here this morning and you're a note taker, you can write this down. It was necessary for our Savior, the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become true man. The eternal Son of God needed to come and live in the flesh. Why? Stay with me. John 1:14 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible is clear. That the eternal Son of God, that the second person of the Trinity, came into this world of time that he himself had created. John says, and the word dwelt among us, man in the flesh. This is really good and helpful news, but it is also very key to our faith. In the flesh of man, the eternal Son of God lived. Pastor, why is that so important? Can you help me understand why it's so important that the eternal Son of God would have dwelled in the flesh? The Bible tells us that in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ endured every thing that we endure. The Jews of Jesus' time were looking for a king triumphant to arrive on the scene. And they were used to this in their history. They had seen kings coming and triumphing over, be it through war or through takeover. And they were looking for, where is this king who will come and establish this kingdom? And they got a little baby laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Bible says that Jesus... Born as a baby. This is why being born as a baby is so important. He grew in every way that we do. He experienced birth as a human. He grew as a child. Lived as a teenager. Faced the temptation of disobeying his parents. Faced the temptation of stealing. You're like, oh, Jesus would never do. No, the Bible says he never did. It's not that he would never do, he never did. But the Bible also says that Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are. He was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he did not sin. And so his birth as a baby is so significant. He grew and lived and experienced every stage that we do. The Bible says this causes him to sympathize with our weakness Think about your sin weakness this morning. Think about those areas in your life where you are tempted greatly by sin. You know what they are better than me. I know my own weaknesses. Think about those areas that you are tempted. The Bible says Jesus sympathizes with that. He understands your trial of temptation. Matthew chapter four gives us such a good look at the temptation of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment the eternal Son of God, condescended to be born as a baby and live as true man and knows every weakness you face. And yet, unlike us, the Bible says, Jesus knew no sin. Jesus committed no sin. Even when on trial, the man in charge of ordering the death of Jesus Christ said, I find no guilt. He lived a sinless life. As true man in the flesh, Jesus endured perfectly without sin and perfectly obeyed God, dying a perfect substitutionary death. He died for us as a substitute That must fall heavy on us. As we grow in age, we understand that in a greater way. So young minds are not conceiving so much, but older minds will begin thinking about and let the weight of that fall. Our sin deserves death. But Christ died as a substitute for the sin of his people. He was manifested in the flesh for so many reasons that I couldn't go into, but some were really worth it. He was manifested in the flesh to make God known to man. Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh to make God known to man. John 1.18 says, no one has seen God, but that Jesus has made God known to man. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact imprint of his nature. Even in our humanity, we understand this in little ways. You may hear it said of a father and son that you know. Well, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father because there are two peas in a pod. It's said often of young girls, spitting image of their mother. However, Christ is not simply a reflection of God, and this cannot be lost. We may be tempted, and the world has been, to think, oh, he's simply a reflection of God. He simply looks like what God would look like. No, the Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says he is the radiance of God's glory. The Bible says he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself, born in flesh as true man, also remains true God. This is one of the greatest complexities of our faith to understand. John touched on it so well last week, talking about the birth of Jesus Christ, that the eternal Son of God attached all of his deity, all of his godness, to man flesh living as true man and as true God. And this is how Jesus made God known to man, by coming and living as true man and true God. He set nothing aside of his deity to become man. He was manifested in the flesh to make God known He was manifested in the flesh to declare God's truth. You understand, we love to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and we love to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Churches are full every Christmas Eve and every Easter because we love to celebrate those things. But you understand that everything between the birth and the death and the resurrection is just as important about the life of Jesus Christ and our faith. Jesus came to accomplish something. This is why even in his death on the cross, what are his last words? It is accomplished. It is finished. I've completed the work that I have come to do. He was manifested in the flesh to declare God's truth. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In John chapter 18, Jesus himself, recorded by John, says, For this purpose I have been born, and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We may often wonder and sometimes confuse what is the purpose of Christ's coming? 1 Timothy 1.15 says he came to save sinners. John 18, Jesus says, I came to declare truth. Indeed, I would say New Year's is coming up and people often set goals or make resolutions. I would encourage every one of you, read the Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because the Gospels are a display of all that Christ came to declare He came to declare and teach truth from God to man and to make known the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus declaring truth would have to be an entire year-long sermon series. Suffice it to say, Jesus came to declare God's truth, manifested in the flesh to make God known, to declare God's truth, and to disarm the power of sin and save his people. Pastor, you've said sin, but... I'm not I'm not up on all the church language. I don't normally go. What what is sin? I've been told that I'm a sinner and I I think it's maybe because I, I do this thing or I look that way or I go to this place. What is sin? Well, there are certain actions in our life and there are certain things that we do that are sinful, but we must understand sin at its base. And sin is any disobedience to the command of God. I wrote this down. Sin is the rejection or ignoring of God in the world He created. Sin is rebellion against God by living without reference to God. Sin is not being or doing what God requires. You see, sin is so much more than just doing bad things. Rebelling against God by living without reference to God. All across this room this morning, there is a level of reverence to God, whether you have realized it or not. Your coming here is not the celebration of Christmas. It is the drawing of a holy God on your soul to his grace and his mercy. You are here that God may reveal the mystery of godliness to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the Christmas story, the historical account of Jesus' birth, an angel told to Joseph, we know these words, he, Jesus will save his people from their sins. In order to save his people from their sin, the power of sin over them had to be broken. Sin's power over man had to be disarmed. The original sin of man in the garden, as I talked with the young children about, the original sin of man in the garden of Eden brought sin and death to all mankind. We are all affected by it. It would take us no time at all to start comparing notes about how sin has affected our lives. This sin separated all of mere humanity from God. He is holy and we are sinful, and mankind is separated from God because of sin. There's no way that mere man could fix this separation. 1 Corinthians 15:3 says that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried. 1 Peter 2.24 says Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. In dying a substitutionary death on the cross, truly as man in the flesh, Jesus Christ said perfectly, it is finished. He paid perfectly for sin and perfectly disarmed the power of sin over his people. This is how? Good news of great joy comes to all people. For unto you is born a Savior who has died for your sin, who has broken the power of sin over you. Because of his death, God turned his wrath away and looked on Christ. The death of Jesus on the cross turns back the wrath of God against the sin of his people. And instead of judgment, this beautiful and mysterious transaction takes place. Instead of judgment, all those who through faith call on Jesus Christ because of his death, God then justifies them freely forever and counts them righteous. Do you understand? It's not just that you don't get in trouble with God for sin when you repent and trust Christ. It is that God divinely, mysteriously, sovereignly, gloriously, righteously changes your position forever, eternally before him. Whatever you were, Wherever you were headed eternally, which the Bible says the wages of sin is death, we're all destined for death and separation. But when the work of God saves a sinner, he changes forever the position of that sinner before a holy God. God justifies the sinner through faith in Jesus Christ and belief in his death upon the cross. Romans 3 verse 26 says that this makes God just because sin was punished. In Christ's death. It makes God just, and it makes him the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God is just, and we are justified because of Christ's atonement. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. How God does this is a mystery, but this is the message of the Bible, that through repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, God looks on Jesus and pardons sin. He was manifested in the flesh. First Timothy goes on, he was vindicated in the spirit. In dying on the cross, Jesus bore all the sin of his people. You read the account of Christ's death and the world turns to darkness. There's an earthquake. There's thunder. This, this divine event in human history had cataclysmic ramifications. It had ramifications out into the cosmos. Do you understand? It was not just that a man died. It is that the course of human history was altered by the author of human history. God changing forever how he would interact and intervene with man, sealing his promise to save his people from their sins. In dying on the cross, Jesus bore all the sin of his people. I need this to be understood. Every ounce of your sin. Christian, stop hanging your head over the sin of yesterday. It was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Repent and sin no more. Stop hanging your head over the victory that you can't get over sin tomorrow because it was paid for by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Repent. And sin no more. Every ounce of our sin. It's not just, oh, God's still working on this sin. He's still saving me from this sin. No, you're still being sanctified and cleansed from sin. But it was all paid for in that glorious transaction on the cross of Jesus Christ. Dying a substitutionary death truly as man. Jesus perfectly atoned for sin. Maybe you've heard in the church world Jesus is fully God and fully man. I like the word truly better than the word fully. He was truly man and truly God. And he atoned perfectly in his death on the cross because our sin demands payment. And as man, he was able to die for men. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is also truly God in the flesh, all of God. And so vindicated by the Spirit, Peter says he bore all of our sin on the cross. And Paul writes to Timothy, he's vindicated in the Spirit because Jesus took all of our sin. Can you imagine the gross ton of sin in this room? I just think about my own life, but then that spreads to all of us. Think about the gross metric tons of sin in this room. And the Bible says he bore it all. Isaiah said God was pleased to crush him. Why? Crush him. Why? Because he took the weight of all of our sin. But he was vindicated by the Spirit. He died a death. He did not deserve to die. Though dead... Buried in the grave for three days, the life-giving power of the Spirit of God raised his dead body back to life again, fully justified and alive as the resurrected Son of God. This is so important. You're like, Pastor, this sounds so much like an Easter message. Yes, because the person and work of Jesus Christ is his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. We can't get so wrapped up in a baby in a manger The baby came to accomplish a purpose. The purpose was dying for the sin of the world and to rise again on the third day. All of Christianity hangs on this point. You may be here today and say, I I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I want to give this warning for you and for anyone you know. Any profession of faith that misses belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a false profession. Any gospel that does not preach Jesus Christ as alive forevermore is a false gospel. Christianity hangs. It lives and dies. Paul says in Corinthians 15, if Jesus isn't raised, we are to be pitied among all people. But in fact, Jesus is risen. It hangs on all of that. It is not just that you believe in Jesus. Are you saved? Someone will ask. Are you saved? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's not good enough. Tell me what that belief in Jesus means. What have you believed in Jesus? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Not just if you say, Jesus is Lord. Do you believe in your heart That three days after dying, the Lord Jesus Christ walked out of a tomb alive forevermore. You must to be saved. You are not a Christian without belief in that truth. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was raised for our justification. And he was raised because he was justified by the Spirit as perfect, sinless, spotless, Acts 2 verse 24 says that God raised him up. I love these words. Ending the piercing pain of death because it could not hold him. I enjoyed the thought of one old pastor on this topic, but I had to put it in my own thoughts because sometimes reading words from the 1700s is confusing. Though suffering a criminal's death Jesus, rising from the dead by the Spirit, justifies him as innocent of all the charges that condemned him to death. He was vindicated by the Spirit. And he was seen by angels. This is mysterious. Pastor, does this. What does that really mean? He was seen by angels. Well, I can't necessarily fully tell you what it means, but I can tell you that angels were attending to Jesus Christ because though we fail to see him perfectly as God, the angels around the throne have never wondered who Jesus Christ is. Angels in heaven have always looked upon him as the lamb seated on the throne, as the all-existing eternal son of God. The Bible says that when Jesus stepped into this world of time and saved mankind from their sin, the angels longed to look into that. Ministered to, seen by angels, so prominent in the birth account. I thought, wow, this is, this is a Christmassy part of the message. Angels, angels are all over the birth account. They visit Mary, they visit Joseph, they proclaim his birth to the shepherds. Angels are kind of all over the place. In fact, the Bible says that suddenly with the angel there appeared a multitude of the heavenly host. You know what that means? It means those shepherds have no idea how many angels stepped out of heaven to proclaim and sing glory to God in the highest you know why? Because angels were perfectly watching their God, whom they've been around since they were made, enact his plan over mankind. It's come! Glory to God in the highest! He's doing among man what he said he would do. They are also prominent through the entire work of Christ's life. It's not just the birth, angels are prominent through the entire person and work of Jesus Christ. They minister to Christ in Matthew 4 after his temptation. That's comforting for us to know because Jesus dwelled truly as man in the flesh and faced everything we face. And after he had endured against sin, angels came and strengthened him. Think about your struggle. Think about those moments that you fight against temptation. You're in a fight to not sin and you overcome and somehow afterwards you are built up. That is the work of God through his ministering spirits, the Bible says. God uses, I don't want people to get confused about the Pastor, this is weird, you're talking about angels. The Bible talks all about angels and God uses them in our lives in ways that we struggle to understand. They minister to Christ after his temptation in Matthew 4. An angel strengthens him in his flesh in Luke 22 prior to his death. As he was praying, Luke records, and in great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, and an angel came and strengthened him. After his death, I'll remind you it was an angel that rolled away the stone. I I was captured by that the other day. This angel, can you imagine? This angel is sent to roll away the stone from a tomb. Why? To clear the way for his God. Come forth, my Lord and my God. Like angels worship God, do you understand? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, they worship Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it was angels who stood by and said, this Jesus whom you see go will come in the same way. Though man imperfectly sees God, angels do not. They see Jesus perfectly as God. They see the Lamb seated on the throne and they worship him. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. This message of Jesus, first proclaimed to those shepherds by a multitude beyond number, spread throughout the world. Proclaimed among the nations. Of note for you history nerds in the room, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's call it A.D. 30, After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the end of that first century, Christians, but after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christians only lived in Jerusalem. By the end of that first century, 70 years later, Christians were as far apart as from Rome to Syria. By the end of the second century, there were Christians in Spain and London. And stretching further toward China and India, Christ was spreading his kingdom with his message throughout the world to right now, here, today, do you understand? In God's economy, the message proclaimed to the shepherds at that birth is why we're here right now. And every local gathering of Christians that calls themselves believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that profess faith in him, find themselves there because Jesus has been proclaimed among the nations. That proclamation started at his birth, and that proclamation will end with his return. He was believed on in the world. And just as the message was proclaimed in the nations, Christ was believed on in the world. And this is fantastic for us to think about. Right now, throughout the world, there are countless gatherings like this with a man heralding truth from God's word that people may believe and be encouraged in their belief. And right now, in this very hour, our God and Father is saving souls as they believe on Jesus Christ. It's been happening since he was taken up in glory, and it's going to happen until he returns, perhaps even in this room, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. We're going to deal more with this glory next week because we're going to finish our Advent series next week by looking at the second coming of Christ. He was taken up in glory, and he's going to come. The angels said in Acts 1, in the same way you saw him go. Hebrews 10.13 says that after Jesus completed his work in the flesh, his life his death, his burial, his resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of God because he had been taken up glorified, taken up in glory. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says that because of Christ's perfect obedience to death, through a substitutionary death, God highly exalted him to the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. And the next time the Lord comes, all of those Jews who are disappointed in the birth of a baby will see their triumphant king. And he will come, the Bible says, with trumpet call and angelic shout. And the Bible says, every eye will see him on that day taken up in glory returning in glory i close today with an exhortation to those in the room 1 timothy 3:16 says great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh he was vindicated by the spirit he was seen by angels he was proclaimed among the nations Believed on in the world, taken up in glory. To those believing in the room, the mystery of godliness has been revealed to you, and now, so peculiar, is revealed in you. The mystery of godliness has been revealed to you, and through faith in Jesus Christ, God now reveals the mystery of godliness through you. Let us rejoice in the realities of all that God has done for us in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and let us tell everyone about it. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, but not so mysterious as to be out of reach. You may be here this morning and think, that sounds great for some of you, and I'm really happy to come to church at Christmas Punch the token card. But that godliness stuff isn't for me. I'm too far gone. I'm too lost in my sin. No, the Bible says there is no sin that God's grace cannot reach. Unless you think that there's a bunch of holy and perfect people here, the Bible says, if not for the grace of God. Paul said, by God's grace, I am what I am. We Christians here are no better than you who, in this moment, are unbelieving. There are only two types of people in the world those that are sinning and those that have been redeemed and work to not sin. We're all in the same pew together, do you understand? None of us are holy apart from God. Perhaps you are here, and as I share these truths, Everything within you is bursting with, yes, finally, someone is speaking to the problems I experience in my life that I can find no solution for. You say that godliness is mysterious, but it's not out of reach. I've been searching, and in so many dead-end, wrong-way decisions, I've been coming up empty, but now I hear you talk of Christ and all he's done, and I say, yes, I believe that. How does this godliness come to me? If God would save me, what must I do? The Bible says, confess with your mouth. Say words to people that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. No, I, don't, I don't know, I... I've called on so many people. I've, I've done so many things to try and fix my problems. I've had so many people turn their backs on me. Pastor, how can you tell me that God won't just be like all the rest? Because God said that a boy would be born of a virgin. And he would be called Emmanuel. And he would save his people from their sins. And after 2,000 some odd years, that message is still being proclaimed throughout the world. People are still believing on the character of that message. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, he died for you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If you'd like to talk more about this, I would love to talk with you. I'll be up front here afterwards. John will be in the room. Other folks with green lanyards, please don't rush to your family Christmas because you've got to eat without settling business with God. The greatest warning of Scripture says today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. May those whose hearts that are far from God call on his name, Lord, forgive me a sinner. Father, we come to you today praising you for the gift of Jesus Christ, a baby, the Lord eternal, manifested in the flesh, taking on himself the wages of our sin, bearing in his body our sin on the cross and dying, but vindicated by the Spirit, declared righteous and innocent and alive forevermore, it's seen by angels proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory, and we pray, oh God, come Lord Jesus, one day returning. Father, I pray, encourage your people this day that we would walk with a greater affection and love for you because of all that you have done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Father, for those in the room who perhaps are far from you or perhaps are being drawn near, oh God, would you save them Would you give them the same great confidence that they can have through faith in Jesus Christ that you save sinners? Father, I pray that we would glorify your name here this day. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, Please contact us at infothevillagemi.com. At Until next time, stay in God's Word.